welcome everyone. Let's see, we got this working. We good? Okay. Welcome everyone to the uh, third Sunday after Pentecost, also known as Father's Day. <laughs> For the last few weeks, we've been learning together to be led by the Holy Spirit. He's sometimes called the forgotten or the neglected member, like the third wheel of the Trinity. Uh, someone reminded me this week of the writer Dale Bruner, who talked about the shyness of the Holy Spirit, and not the shyness so much in terms of timidity or reluctance, but the shyness of, of deference, of other-centeredness, of always wanting to focus on someone else. It's like the Holy Spirit is always trying to shine the spotlight on the goodness of God the Father, on the grace of God the Son. And then we've said along the way in this series that there is a, there's a mystery to the Holy Spirit. You can't control or confine or put him in a box. And, and I think it's captured in one of the words that the Bible uses again and again to describe the Holy Spirit. It's the Hebrew word for the Spirit, which is used. You can trace this throughout the Old Testament. It's, it's the, the word ruah, which also means wind. Okay, spirit, wind, same word. It's, it's something you can't control. Jesus one day says to Nicodemus, this is in John 3, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. There's a mystery to the Holy Spirit, kind of like the wind, right? It's, it's unpredictable, it's powerful. Sometimes it, it shows up when you least expect it, like the storms that we've had over the last few days where it's like the wind suddenly whips up and trees start falling down and hail is coming down. You can't control it. And you know, the longer I'm in this space of ministry and church and, and helping people figure out and make sense of life with, with God, the more I see the truth of this. We cannot control the Holy Spirit. I remember one day a while back, I was really feeling behind in my work. I think I had to prepare three sermons in the span of a week. And I, I mean, my desk was covered with books and I was looking anywhere for desperation and it just, nothing. It wasn't coming. It was like the ultimate case of sermon writer's block. And, and I was just praying and praying that the Holy Spirit would give me inspiration and words and creativity and it just nothing seemed to be coming. So I decided to just get up away from my desk, do a lap around the office, get some fresh air, just reset and, and then see if we could kind of go after this again. And so I'm walking around the office and I walked by Charlie Dunn, he's one of our pastors and he was just working away and he kind of had a smile on his face. He's in a really good mood. And, and I asked him what's going on. He said, he said, man, I just finished my sermon for next week. And, and for, I don't know why, but it just kind of came easily to me today. And it was kind of frustrating because here I was just sweating over these talks and I got to give three of them in a week and nothing's coming and the Holy Spirit is not giving me the inspiration that I need and I'm asking for. And here Charlie just kind of pulls up to his desk and magically just turns out something brilliant. And I walked back to my office trying to figure out what, and, and I realized what had happened. The Holy Spirit was giving my sermons to Charlie Dunn. <laughs> you ever wonder why the Holy Spirit seems to do that sometimes? It's like you come to God with the best of intentions. You pray 
the right kind of prayer for the right outcome and you really sense that it's in line with the will of God and nothing happens. And then sometimes people who maybe seem like they're farther from God, this is no longer about Charlie Dunn, just to be clear, but somebody who seems to be a little less far along in their spiritual maturity and they ask for something and it just seems to like get answered right away. Why is it that sometimes when I most long to sense the presence of the Holy Spirit, I seem to have the hardest time focusing or prayer seems to be more difficult or I'm discouraged. I just feel like I'm not connecting with God. And then there are these other times when it's, I'm just ambushed by the affection and the assurance of God's nearness and the Spirit's presence with me. And like it comes out of nowhere and it's just a gift. There's mystery in the working of the Holy Spirit. So today, mostly, mostly I want to encourage you that even when you don't know what to do or which path to go down, or even when you don't know how to pray, that the Holy Spirit is in you and with you to comfort and lead and guide. And even more than that, and this has just been blowing me away in recent days, the Holy Spirit even prays for us when we don't know what to pray. This is from Romans 8. For we do not know what to pray, what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit groans on our behalf. It's like a, it's a deep sigh or moaning that's filled with grief. Now, I'm not proud of this. And there are going to be some you know, disclaimers along the way. But the first thing that came to mind for me when I read through this, there's a TV show that's gotten a lot of praise recently in the last few years. And there's a particular lead character on this show who is known mostly for his groaning. Does anybody know who I'm talking about here? It's like he groans his way through life, okay? He's also got a mouth on him. So that's why there's a disclaimer. And I'm not encouraging you to, to recommending you to watch this, but... He just, like this image of the, the, the groan in scripture and just because it's biblical, I thought what we could do today is just a collective groan practice session this morning. So, because all of us in one way or another, I mean, we come up, we bump up against situations whether, where we just, we groan. We're stuck in traffic or the center fielder uh, misses the game winning catch and gets caught in the lights and, you know, and you're cheering for that team and you're just like, ah. Oh. So we're going to try and do a group groan together. Do you think we can do this? It was a little bit underwhelming at 930, but the acoustics are better in here. And so let's just see if this is going to be good. All right. We're all going to groan together on the count of three. So here we go. One, two, three. Ah. Oh. Doesn't that feel just a little bit restorative to do that? Paul says, in our weakness, not in our strength, in our weakness, the Holy Spirit groans for us in prayer. Think about that. God's Spirit, omniscient, omnipresent, all the other omnis that there are, all-powerful God of the universe reduces himself to groaning for us. You ever sat across from a great counselor or somebody just with the gift of, of they're, they're an incredible listener. And it's almost like their empathy is so off the charts that they, they almost groan with you, along with you. The Holy Spirit is like that. He, he willingly 
comes alongside, enters into our grief, our weakness, our longing to be freed from sin, and he groans, he intercedes, praying on our behalf. This is the gift we have in the third person of the Trinity. And we are invited, this has been our focus the last few weeks, we're invited to walk with him through life. The Apostle Paul writes about this in his letter to the Galatians. It's chapter 5, if you want to open that up. Galatians chapter 5, and we'll start with verse 16. But I say, this is Paul speaking to the church, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment because this is a really important point Paul is making. We looked at this a few weeks ago. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, other Bible translations, because the Bible is not, in fact, written in English, the New Testament was written in Greek, and because of that, certain things can get lost in translation. So most English translations for, say, the last hundred years or so, translated this verse, they said something like this, walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, that's one way this, maybe the dominant way this had been translated for a long time. Now see if you can tell the difference. This is from the ESV, which we just read. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Do you see that shift? First translation, walk by the Spirit, do not gratify. That's two commands. Walk, do not gratify. But that's not what Paul says. What Paul wrote and what we have in the original text is not a command followed by a second command, but a command followed by a promise. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The Apostle Paul, who's writing to these new Jesus followers in Galatia, he gives them a command followed by a promise, a wonderfully freeing, encouraging, empowering promise. Learn to walk by the Spirit and you will not, will not, will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's a promise. Because you're walking in the Spirit, or to use the phrase that we're about to, to, to see in just a moment, when you're keeping in step with the Spirit of God, walk in the Spirit, keep in step with Him, and you will not fall for the desires of the flesh. And Paul goes on in Galatians 5 to list some of these out, these sins of the flesh, which, you know, occasionally Paul does these in his letters, and sometimes it just can almost make you feel guilty, right? Immorality, Impurity, debauchery, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. And it's like guilty on all counts. But see, what Paul's saying here is not, it's not meant to be this oppressive, like impossible standard by which none of us can live. It's actually a promise that, that, that as you learn moment by moment to walk with and to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, this is what will happen. You will no longer find yourself tethered to these things that you were once enslaved by. Sexual immorality, idolatry, which isn't about setting up little statues. It's about the the allure of, of money and success and beauty. We're no longer captured by those things. Hatred, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition, these things, they begin to lose their hold on us because we walk by the Spirit. 
Instead, what we find is that our lives are marked increasingly by what Paul goes on to describe as the fruit of the Spirit. And so he continues in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to, to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. And then Paul sort of wraps a bow on this section. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, whenever we come across or talk about or teach our children the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, whenever we go through that list, does anybody else feel the slightest bit inadequate? Anybody feel less than perfect on the scale when it comes to showing patience in a routine and consistent way? When people don't follow through on what you were just assuming they were going to follow through on? Or how about self-control? Got any bad habits? Ever lose your temper? Ever drink too much or eat too much or say something that you wish you could put back into your mouth the moment it came out? The other day, Allie and I were uh, headed to bed and pretty much everything around the house was done. The kids were down and the dishwasher was started and the coffee was kind of preset to go in the next morning. The only thing that was left to do was to take the dog out. Well, I wasn't sure if Allie had already um, let Kylie out. And so I just asked her as we were kind of getting into bed and both of us are just exhausted, tired. And I said, honey, did you let Kylie out? And Allie, who clearly, you know, she was, she was tired as well. And she just sort of said back to me, I may have, but I'm not sure. Honest, honestly, I can't remember. And without even thinking about it, what I said was, you know, it would be really helpful to know whether you did or you didn't, because then I could know whether I could go to bed or if I have to get back up out of bed to let Kylie back in the house. And it's like, I knew as soon as it came, uh, what, what, what is that all about? Like, I could have just walked the 14 and a half feet to the door and it just wasn't that big a deal. And to see if the dog was outside and it's just, you know, not a big deal. But there was this tiny little irritation in my spirit about having to, you know, not having clarity about whether there was one more chore that I had to add to the list to do that night. Well, the next morning, we're sitting together in our front room reading and just kind of having our devotional time as we normally do. Um, and we haven't spoken any, exchanged any words yet since the dog episode the night before. When Allie says to me, and, and it, these are, were her exact words, she said, I'm not a big fan of irritable Brian. <laughs> like, he's not my favorite. And I thought, you know, that what a good way to, put, to, to, to describe that. And I actually really appreciated that she was willing to go there so that then we could talk about it and just have an honest conversation. And we were kind of reflecting and going through how there have been these times recently when there was just this little bit of negative, judgmental, just kind of an irritable spirit showing up in my life. In fact, as we were talking through it, we, we decided we would call this irritable Brian syndrome. And it's like, yep, there's IBS, and it's just, it's, it's happening again. So this message is for me. And it's an invitation to invite the Spirit into my self-absorbed, reluctant to serve, wanting to have my own way heart. 
So here's the bottom line of this. This is not a complicated sermon today. Paul does not command us. We are not commanded to grow fruit. He does not command us to start producing more patience and generating more gentleness and, 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 and growing more self-control. His command is to walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. That's what we focus on, and the result of that will be this fruit. You see, the trap that so many Christians and, and, and so many churchgoers can so often get caught up in is concentrating on and obsessing over the fruit-bearing status of my life, which then just leads to, to legalism and hypocrisy and ultimately to burnout. Rather than focusing on walking, learning to walk in step, to keep in step with the Spirit of God, you focus on keeping in step and he will take care of the fruit. You keep in step, he will take care of the fruit. Here's how Paul ends this section. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And it's such a great word picture, this to, to keep in step with. It's, it's a word that means to, to, to align ourselves, to conform, to be in sync, in step. I was going through this sermon with some of our elders earlier this week, and one of these guys, um, at this point, as we're kind of walking through the text, described having served in the army when he was younger. And he talked about how at basic training, they were learning how to march, which, you know, I've never been through the process of being taught how to march, but he described it as you start at the very beginning in basic training. And it's like, you're spending all this time learning how to march and you're kind of like, why do we need to do this? Like, I know how to walk, okay? And what does this have to do with anything that, you know, that we're after here? When do we get to the good stuff? But he said, the discipline it takes to learn how to walk and march so completely in sync with someone else. Paul says, don't, don't worry about the fruit. You focus on keeping in step with the Spirit. He'll grow the fruit. Focus on arranging your life moment by moment around the presence and the leading and, and the groaning and the guidance that the Holy Spirit will give you. And when we begin to walk in step with the life-giving spirit, what we'll find is just this beautiful cluster of character traits begin to flourish. So then, how do we do this? How do we keep in step with the spirit? And maybe as we talk through this, and this is going to be kind of where we're going to end, but um, maybe there is something in your life, you might be thinking about some hang-up some habit, some desire that you've been dealing with in your life and you're just kind of tired and you long for the Spirit to come, the Holy Spirit to bring holy change. So how do you do that? How do you keep in step with the Spirit? Four things. And if you're a note taker, you may just want to write these down. A teacher of mine at Regent College first led me through this. How do you keep in step with the Spirit? Four things. First, be willing to be changed. And just to be clear, I did not say be willing to change. Be willing to be changed. You're not the one who's going to do the changing, but you got to be willing to be changed. Second, admit that you are powerless. This is not meant, this is not a statement that's meant to, feel, to make you feel terrible about yourself. It's, it's just waking up to reality. 
This is not gonna be about you. Your willpower, your resolve, if it was, you would have already made that change. Admit that you are powerless. Anybody who's worked through the 12 steps or who's been part of Celebrate Recovery here at the church, a lot of people are finding hope and freedom through Celebrate Recovery. This is so key. We, we come to this point where we admit that we are powerless to alcohol or whatever it is. We come to this point where we can acknowledge that our lives have become unmanageable. Be willing to be changed. Admit that you are powerless. And then third, affirm over and over that the Holy Spirit is stronger than that habit or that hang up or that sinful desire. The Spirit of God is stronger. He who is in you is stronger than any temptation, any sinful desire, any evil thought, any thought pattern, and he is certainly stronger than the evil one. The very same spirit who raised Jesus out of that grave is alive in you and he is greater than any sinful desire that you are currently controlled by. And then fourth and finally, let the spirit take control. And it sounds really simple and it is so not easy to do, to to yield control. But as an act of the will, Choose, decide, resolve to let the Holy Spirit take control. Give him the keys. Hand over the rain, whatever phrase you want to use here. But you have to give up. Surrender and let him take control. And man, that is so hard. I remember when uh, each of our kids was learning how to swim. And we would take them to swim lessons. Uh, Collier Jane is the most recent. And... You know, the hardest part for her of just watching through this, sometimes they would tell you, parents, you really don't want to watch how this happens. Just come back in an hour. But I watched some of these sessions and, and caught for years, Collier Jane had watched as her older siblings had had so much fun swimming all, you know, everywhere in the pool and going and, and she wanted to swim so bad. But what happened is every time she started learning how to swim, it's like she would work so hard and she's got a lot of energy and just a lot of things come naturally to her, but she couldn't figure out how to swim because she was obsessed with and working so hard to try and stay on top of the water. And one of the things that she was doing that she thought, this is what I need to do if I wanna stay above the water is she kept trying to lift her head up out of the water. And the whole time, that you, the, the, there's like this key. It's like you got to put your head down to, in order to be able to stay above the water. But it's weird because you don't think, you think you need to keep your head up. And so call your Jane going through the lesson. She's like, I got this, I got this, I got this, sink. And then you kind of talk through it again and you coach her again. And she's like, I got this, I got this, I got this, sink. It's one of the hardest things to learn. And, and there's a, Jesuit priest named Thomas Green, and he actually has, has seen in this a kind of image or metaphor for the Christian life and what it means to surrender. And he talks about like learning how to swim, learning how to float, how to stop trying so hard, how to begin to, to lay your head down in the water and learn to let the water lift you. And it is so counter to everything else we are taught in this life. But once you learn it, everything changes. 
And so it is with the Holy Spirit. Let him take control. He's got you. He will carry you. He will hold you. And as you learn to keep in step with him, he will be faithful to grow the fruit. So Jesus, we come before you and we thank you for your faithfulness. And we pray even on a day when we get to celebrate your faithfulness in the lives of a family and of one who is putting his trust in Jesus through baptism. God, for each of us, would you show us what it means to begin to keep in step with you? We pray this in the name of Jesus and everybody said, amen.